This podcast covers a series of missing persons cases and other offenses that occurred in multiple jurisdictions in Florida from around 2000 to 2012, many of which are thought to be attributed to a single person. All crimes are alleged, and as always, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. When the unsolved cases go cold, they eventually end up in this small room. Inside the boxes, the paper's even old. Oh, gosh, yeah. Files where you can see and almost smell the time that's passed. A heart-wrenching tragedy comes to a family's doorstep. Tonight on a 40-year-old His death murder. was a homicide, but his killer and remains on the And when police can't find the murder... are telling us as many as 10 This was the most heinous, cold-blooded murder case he's ever you encountered. Stab, you stab, you stab, you stab, you stab. an arrest in the rape and murder of a woman killed 17 years ago. ...start whispering among themselves and pointing fingers at but those the tips and tails lead nowhere. You may not remember their names, but these are the faces of hundreds of victims who've been murdered. Cops say an unexpected break in this tragic cold case. Their cases remain unsolved. Even though they couldn't tie anyone to the crime. We have a lot of information. Rumors started coming in, the stories started coming in from the street. Maybe their conscience just got to them after all these years. They, you know what, maybe I better talk. Why would you keep this? information if you have it why would you keep it uh, a man has died here let's bring it to the surface uh, she deserves justice this needs to be solved it isn't often that someone in law enforcement nudges me to look at a particular case it's happened a couple of times but i'm generally the one doing the nudging sending records requests hoping to dig into a case that catches my eye for whatever reason And that's what I was doing here, hoping to get some information on a case that I thought might be a good fit for this podcast, when I got a gentle no from the lead investigator. But with that gentle no came the nudge. You might be interested in this book, he told me, Murders Without Bodies, written by Robert J. Sullivan. This investigator, Kevin Allen, with the Alachua County Sheriff's Office in Florida, wrote the foreword to this book. And after reading it, I understood why I got the nudge. This season's story isn't just about one case, but it is about one perpetrator. This season isn't just about one victim. It's about three missing women, along with multiple other victims, some who made it out alive, however scathed their battered bodies and psyches were. This season is about domestic violence so brutal and ongoing that I want to warn the listener of what's to come. If you have a personal history with domestic violence or the topic itself is triggering, this might not be the season for you. This season is about a dogged investigator who wouldn't take no for an answer and a prosecution team that wasn't afraid to take a case that, without a body, would certainly be an uphill battle. This season is about women who live in fear, women who died in fear, and women who our system is often ill-equipped to protect. This season is about justice served in one case but yet to be served in others, women whose bodies remain unfound, and a perpetrator who sits in prison now but could foreseeably get out at some point and continue his reign of violence and terror 
I think this season there's work to do to make sure that never happens. Mr. Anderson? Can I ask you something? Yeah. Why do nice people choose the wrong people to date? Hmm. Are we talking about anyone specific? We accept the love we think we deserve. Can we make them know that they deserve more? We can try. We accept the love that we think we deserve. When I heard that quote in the movie, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, I immediately associated it with domestic violence, not necessarily what the wallflower goes through in school when they're hoping for the boy or the girl of their dreams to show some interest in them. We accept the love that we think we deserve. If you take one thing away from this season, please let it be this. Don't ask abused women why they stayed. Why didn't you leave? It's the most hurtful and uninformed question that you can ask a victim of abuse. And that's because the answer is simple and it's always the same. So... Why don't you let me answer that for you so you don't ever have to re-victimize a victim by asking them? The answer is they couldn't see a viable and safe way out. Many try and some do manage to get away. Unfortunately, others don't make it out alive. And you're going to hear some of their stories this season. We know that there are patterns with abusers. bullying manipulation, coercive control. You'll see these characteristics in every single abuser. Their moral flaws should be our red flags. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from an inmate at Florida Correctional Institution. This call is subject to recording and monitoring, and your location information may be collected and used by corrections and law enforcement personnel. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press Thank you for using Tnetics. You may start the conversation now. Yeah, those things, like, um, and I feel like that was one of the biggest things in my life that hindered me, more. um, my, 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 my choice, my poor judgment and poor choice of, of women. You know what I'm saying? I felt like, you know what I'm saying? That, that was one of my, you know what I'm saying? That was the main thing that I feel like God has dealt with me on since I've been here. Like I say, um, it's, it's, I get my peace from him. And like when I sit back and, and, and reflect my life, you know what I'm saying, it, 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 when you look at it in the spiritual spiritual eyes, you see how those things bring you into bondage. Fornication is one of the main things that the enemy use, you know what I'm saying, fornication is going to bring destruction upon you. It destroys family, it destroys home, it, it entangles you. Your soul, mentally, psychologically, and you know what I'm saying, emotionally. It just, you know what I'm saying, it, it's, it's, it's a gateway and it's a doorkeeper. The enemy have strong claim on certain individual lives. And when, by, when I say a strong claim, 
know what I'm saying? When people done been molested for years. And have a history of mental illnesses. It just didn't start then. That thing went back from generations. Because had kids from every different race. And she was mentally unstable. So this thing here, on situations like that, the enemy have strong claims. On certain individuals, you know what I'm saying? When he have a strong claim, he's not gonna let that that that, that thing like that. It ain't gonna go that easy. And that thing is designed to bring destruction on the vessel in the vessels that it come in contact with. And, and because when I think about every individual that some a lot of individuals she don't be in contact, it brings destruction. Especially upon the one that she lay with. <laughs> it's always chaos around her. It's it's private. It's all types of spirit that come with that perversion. All these spirits dwell in her family. They can never pay their bills. They're always moving. Um, always confused. I mean, it's the same old stuff. But it ain't that it's the same old stuff. It's them spirits. Them spirits ain't going nowhere. Addictions. Depression. That's why you know I, I mean you can't you can't get yourself entangled with, with, with people and they, they stuff. I, I think she continue to call you because the enemy wanna try to keep that line of communication open. For us hoping that, you know what I'm saying, me and her, there may be a possibility that we can rekindle something. You gotta realize the tactics and the schemes of the enemy. That's how that thing kept me bound for so long, Marco. She always kept in contact. Well, now it's you she keeping in contact with. But prior to then, she used to always keep in contact with her and Always, you know what I'm saying? That spirit works, still works the same. Andrela Witcher also known as Pumpkin, has strong feelings about how his problems have been directly related to the women that he's chosen in his life. Throughout this podcast, you're going to hear from him, in his own words, in calls from jail and prison. I've chosen to remove the voices of the people that he's speaking to because it's his words that are important. Although from time to time, I will tell you what their responses were when it's necessary for context. The beeps that you hear are to protect the identities of the people he's speaking about. Most of the calls in question occurred before he was indicted on charges of manslaughter against Heather McCrossan, when he was incarcerated on other charges, and believed that he would be getting out of prison soon. You know, so I mean, I'm grateful and thankful for the work that God is doing in my life. And he also showed, he shows me how, through other people's testimony, how... People get off track. And most you have one minute left. They get off track, and it's sad. It's through women. A woman to come in their life. I don't heard so many testimonies mm-hmm. in her mom from young men, and they can't even see it. The enemy uses women, and he's been using women for a long time to get men off track. From the beginning, look at David, look at Samuel, look at Saul. 
you got to get yourself in the body of Christ. You got to associate yourself with people that are seeking mm-hmm. God. You can't compromise against that. You got to get yourself involved. Thank you for using Teenetics. Goodbye. When 26 year old Heather McCrossan fled the Sunshine State in 2007, all she had with her was a small suitcase. Her sister Brandy was at the station in Battle Creek, Michigan when Heather stepped off the bus with two black eyes and bruises all over her body. She let her sister listen to the threatening voicemail that Andrela Witcher had left on her phone. Get your ass back here to testify or I'll throw you in with the gators. The following is a statement of Brandy McCrossan, as taken by Detective Kevin Allen of the Alachua County Sheriff's Office. This statement is being taken via telephone. I'd like to ask you some questions regarding your sister, Heather Ann McCrossan. Is that okay with you? Yes. Great. Um, Can you tell me um, about growing up with Heather? Um, She was an outgoing person, uh, funny. Um, She was a family person. And uh, did she ever kind of confide in you as to what she wanted to do with her life as she got older? Yes, she she loved to... um, work with other people, technically, like, as a nurse. Did she do any work like that? Yes. She worked for, um, I'm sorry, I can't think of the name of it right now. It was a nursing home. Uh, so she, she liked working with senior citizens then? Yes. Okay. And did you know she did it on a voluntary basis or if she got paid? She was paid for it. Okay. And about how old was she when when she worked there? Twenty. Uh, okay. Twenty-five. Um, okay. Can you tell me the story as to you know how you found out she was moving? She actually arrived at my house with um, an ex-boyfriend. Um, you know they had other stuff in the vehicle, and she told me that she wanted to move to Florida. <laughs> and what did you say? I said, why? And she says, there's a lot more jobs down there. And I said, well, you should stay here with your family. And she's like, well, I have to, you know, take care of Brandon, which is her son. Did she bring Brandon with her when she moved to Florida? Yes. And how old was he then? Oh, um, I want to say he was um, six or eight. Okay. At the time. Did you stay in touch with her after she moved to Florida? Yes. And what what did she tell you about her life in Florida? She actually she liked it. Um, she enjoyed it at that time, yeah. Do you know if she eventually um, broke up with her uh, previous boyfriend, Chad? Yes. And do you know if that went well? or, or How long did they live together when they moved to Florida? They lived together for four, about four years. Did you hear anything about the breakup? Yeah, they just basically fighting um, money-wise. Um, there was domestic violence a couple of different times. Uh, tell me what you remember about the domestic violence between Heather and Chad. Um, I know there was a few times he punched her in her face. He, I, he left one night and didn't come home. Um, that was one of the one of the arguments and why it, you know they started fighting. Do you know if Chad ever got arrested for the domestic violence with Heather? 
I think here he did, not in Florida. Okay. And what kind of work did they do when they uh, moved to Florida? Um, I think she was working in some kind of restaurant at that time. As a waitress? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you know, have you ever met Andrella Witcher? No. Do you know when Heather hooked up with Andrella? Um, I know it was a little bit after her and Chad broke up. Chad moved back to Michigan. Um, I think it was a couple months after they split. Were you made aware of any domestic violence issues between your sister Heather and Andrello? Yes. Tell me what you know about that. Uh, the day that she arrived to Michigan on a bus, me and my sister Minnie McCrossin picked her up at the bus station, and she had two black eyes, and we asked her what happened, and she said Andrello hit her a couple different times. Did she have any other marks or bruises on her other than the two black eyes? Yes, she had marks on her back. It looked like welts, like he hit her with an object or like a belt. Can you tell me in greater detail how Heather told you uh, she obtained the black eyes and welts? Yes, she said... um, there was a night she was at home. She just got off work. Um, Andrella was at home. Um, she said she went to bed between 9 and 10, and she woke up to him in the bathroom actually washing himself up at the sink. And she got up and asked him where he's been, and he basically told her, don't and worry about it, and he started hitting her. Was that the first time that she had been struck by Andrello? Not that I know of, but I don't think that was the first time. How did you know that Heather was coming to town to when you picked her up at the bus station with your sister Mindy? She called me on my house phone and told me that she just got on to the bus and Florida and Gainesville, Florida. And what did it take her like a day or two to get to Michigan? Yeah. Were you privy to any conversations between Andrello and Heather after she came to stay with you in Michigan in 2007? Yes. Would you tell me about those conversations? Um, the first day that she actually arrived, he called her phone, she answered it, and I could hear him asking her where she was at, and she said, I'm with my family, and he says, no, you're not. She said, you're with a, basically with another guy, and she says, no, I'm not, and he says, you better bring your ass home, and if you don't, he said, I'm beating your ass when you get back here. Wow, and you heard that conversation? Yes, I did. And you heard that conversation because he was speaking so loudly, or was it on a speakerphone? Um, she was actually sitting next to me. He was yelling at her. That's how I could hear him over the phone. Were there any other threats made during that conversation by Andrello to Heather? Um, yes. He said if she doesn't come home, that he will find her and her family and kill them. Tell me more about that. 
Um, me, my cousin Jennifer, and my sister Mindy were sitting there. This was, you know, after a couple of times she's done called her. Um, she, you know, kept avoiding this call. She finally answered it. We were telling her, you know, don't answer the phone, just shut off your phone. Well, she answered it anyways, and he said, if you do not come back home, he said, I will come up there and I will find you and I will kill you and your family. And Heather hung up on him. What was Heather's affect like when she was having these conversations with Andrello? She was shaken. I could tell she was scared. And I've asked her before if she was scared of him, and she said yes. Did she eventually go back to Gainesville, Florida to be with Andrello? Yes, she did. Tell me about any conversations you had with her regarding you're asking her to stay in Michigan? Well, I asked her why she wanted to go back to Gainesville, Florida, and that's when she told me that the house that they were staying in, um, it was raided. They found drugs. Andrello was trying to get Heather to testify for him, saying that it wasn't his, you know, his drugs. And Heather told me herself that she didn't want to get on stand and lie and, you know, get herself in trouble for making a false statement. And, yeah, she's... I'm sorry. I'm kind of shook up right now. That's okay. Um, what did Heather tell you Andrella wanted Heather to say? Um, basically that it was his cousin, Drugs. <laughs> did she tell you the name of the cousin? No, she didn't. Was Heather willing to do this for Andrello? Um, she said she didn't want to, but then she went back to Gainesville, Florida. Why do you think she went back? Because I think she was scared for her life. As crazy as it sounds, because he was threatening to come here. So I think that's why she went back to Gainesville, Florida. I think... She thought if she went back home, then, you know, I guess the threats would stop. I don't know. Did anyone else in your family attempt to convince Heather to stay in Michigan? Yes, my sister Mindy did. Um, my mom, Janama Crossan, did. My cousin, Jennifer Wiegand, did. Uh, brothers did. Pretty much everybody tried to keep her to stay here. How did she get to the bus stop uh, the day she took the bus back to Gainesville? Um, myself and my older sister, Mindy McCarthy. Can you tell me about that departure and if that was an emotional one? Yes, it was. Um, on our way there, you know, we were telling her, you know, will you please just stay here? Um, you know, Brenda needs you here. Um, and she... I was just saying, you know, I, I have to go back. But I do remember her telling me that she will come come back home. She just didn't say when. She didn't give us, like, a time frame. Did you stay in touch with her uh, when she was on the bus ride back to Gainesville from Michigan? I did. I actually called her. I talked to her for about an hour. And she told me, she said, well, I'm going to call Mom. Um, my phone's going to go dead. I need to charge my phone, so I'm going to call my mom and talk to her for a minute. And she said, and I'll call you back in a little bit. And we said, I love you, and we hung up the phone. That was the last time I heard from her.
Do you know um, what was awaiting her when she got off the bus in Gainesville, Florida? I think Andrella was waiting for her. I think she called him when she arrived to the bus station and he picked her up. And why do you think that? Just, you know, the way she was blowing up her phone, you know, he was telling her, you need to come back home. Um, She was the only person that, you know, he was the only person that she talked to that was from Gainesville, Florida. She didn't know a whole lot of people from what she told us, except for her friend Heather. Um, I just, I got this feeling that she called him and said, hey, you know, basically saying, hey, I'm here, you know, please don't hurt me, you know, and he picked her up. What do you think happened to your sister? I think she picked her up and, um, he killed her. Do you have any idea what he did with her remains? Um, well, there, there, he threatened that he would throw her to the alligators. He, you know, he's had a gun before. I mean, maybe he shot and killed her. Um, maybe he beat her to death. Tell me uh, where the uh, conversation came from regarding throwing her to the alligators. My mother, Janelle McCrossum, was on the phone with her. Heather was in Gainesville at the time. And, you know, there was an argument between Andrell and Heather because Heather wouldn't get off the phone. And Heather basically told him, I'm talking to my mom. And he didn't like the fact that Heather, you know, wouldn't listen to him. So he basically told her to shut up, get off the phone. And he said, I will throw you where the alligators is. And my mom said, tell him, don't say that. Okay. Is there anything else that you would like to say on this statement? Um, I would like to say um, I hope you guys find her so me and my family can rest her at peace. You know, we could get some kind of peace of mind. You know, I think it's better knowing than not knowing. I think that's what the hard you know, thing about all this is we just want to know where she's at. You know, she's been gone for seven years now. Um, I just hope you guys find her and get her home where she should be. Thank you, Brandy. Is there anything else you'd like to say? No. Heather McCrossin originally moved to Florida with a boyfriend, but when that relationship fizzled and he returned to Michigan, Heather stayed in Florida. By that time, Heather had gotten a job at a barbecue place where she met her friend, the other Heather, and both Heathers left Backyard Barbecue in 2006, and they worked at a place called Casbors for a while, until they both ended up working at Café Risqué, a place that I have seen referred to as Denny's with strippers. Just off I-75 in Micanopy, Florida, south of Gainesville, sits a tidy little building that used to be a Skeeter's Country Kitchen but evolved over time when the owners decided to try a little something different. In 2015, a woman named Cherry, who was manager, told a reporter for the Gainesville scene, quote, You never see another 24-7 adult place. So for us, 3 in the morning until 11 is naked waitress time. Heather McCrossin was a server, and her friend Heather was a dancer. Andrea Witcher frequented Café Risqué, and he sold drugs. 
There was also talk about how he ran a prostitution ring from there. And the club may have been where Heather McCrossin met and began seeing Andrela Witcher. Over the next year and a half, Heather took many beatings from Andrelo, so much so that he was banned from Café Risqué for his continued harassment of her. He would come in and demand that Heather hand over her tips, and he wouldn't leave until she did. Heather kept showing up to work with black eyes and a swollen lip and bald spots where he had torn out her hair. Eventually, she was fired from Café Risqué because of how beaten up she always looked. When Heather McCrossin's father learned of the abuse that she had been enduring, he traveled to Florida with two of his sons. They had a long family conversation, and they urged Heather to come back with them to Michigan. Then they escorted her to the house where she lived with Andrelo and his cousin and helped her remove her belongings. The group of them stayed together at a hotel the night before they were scheduled to head back to Michigan. But the next morning, at the last minute, Heather told them that she had changed her mind. The fear that Andrelo had instilled in her held a tight grip. Any time that Andrelo Witcher felt that loss of control, he would lash out. I heard that from many of his victims, even the early ones who he didn't physically abuse, only verbally intimidated. When they tried to leave or they told him to go, that's when he'd escalate. Here's Heather's friend, the other Heather. The following is a statement of Heather Atkinson as taken by Detective Kevin Allen of the Alachua County Sheriff's Office. Will you please tell me in your own words how you first met Heather and what your relationship was all about? Okay. In 2005, either mid or late 2005, uh, her and I both worked together at Backyard Barbecue. We became very close from there. And what kind of work did you and Heather do there? We both were waitresses. And about how long were you working there with Heather before you changed jobs? About two or three months. Where did you go to work after Backyard Barbecue? We went to Casbor's Grill on Newberry Road in Jonesville, Florida. And about how long did uh, you two work there? A couple of months. And you were both waitresses there? Yes. Did there come an occasion when you worked together with Heather at Casbor's that you became aware of some violence between Andrella Witcher and Heather McCrossin? Yes, I became aware with her coming in with a couple of black eyes, uh, busted lip, um, as well as in Backyard Barbecue, he showed up there and would take her money from her. Um, and then it wasn't until after Casbor's did I really like learn more of the violence she was going through with Andrella. When you first started noticing that your best friend Heather had been involved in some sort of violent confrontation with Andrello, what did Heather initially tell you was the reason for these outbursts? Uh, it was just arguments that they got into. She was never really specific about it. And did what did you advise your best friend to do? To get away from him, that he was dangerous and he was one day going to kill her. Did there come an occasion where you both went to work at Café Risqué? Yes. She started Café Risqué first, and then I followed behind her. Did the violence seem to escalate after she went to work at Café Risqué? Very much so. She literally got fired from there due to him showing up, threatening, 
customers threatening her and just the visual beatings that Cafe Risque had to let her go for. Can you describe some of the um, confrontations that you personally observed between Andrello and Heather at Cafe Risque? Um, he would come in and sit in the very back with a couple of his friends, and every time she would come out, she was a waitress there. She would literally get scared that he was there. He would make rude comments to her. Um, our manager had to bounce him out of there one time and put up a trespassing for him. He couldn't show back up. He actually had a picture of him at the door for other employees to see if he tried to come in, not to let him in. What kind of bodily violence was he committing at that point against Heather? Um, he was beaten, beaten on her. And the, in Cafe Risque, he didn't do anything physical when she went home. He would physically abuse her. And how do you know that? Because she would call me to come and get her, pick her up. And what would you observe when you picked her up? Uh, busted face, busted lip, bruised ribs. Um, her eyes blackened. And she showed you all this? Yes. July 2007, the year that she disappeared, was a brutal month for Heather McCrossin. On July 7th, there is an Alachua County offense report stating that Heather and her boyfriend, Andrela Witcher, were on their way to Café Risque, Heather's place of employment, when an argument arose. They were in a vehicle, traveling southbound on State Road 93 from Lake City, Florida, when Andrelo accused Heather of cheating on him. During the argument, Andrelo punched Heather in the face repeatedly, screaming at her, You're nothing but a whore and a bitch. He tore Heather's bracelet off her left wrist, and he threatened that he would make sure she lost her job. Heather begged him to let her out of the car, but he refused. She pressed her left foot on the brake, attempting to stop the vehicle, and Andrelo grabbed her leg and forced it off the brake, then grabbed her hair and yanked it, causing her to scream. When the battering finally wound down, Andrelo made a call on his mobile phone, and then he turned the car around and headed back home. As soon as they got there, the residence in Lake City that they shared with Andrelo's cousin, he went inside, but Heather ran down to the nearby Shell station and called a friend. Her friend picked her up, and then they called the police. A report was taken, as were pictures of her badly bruised left eye and her lacerated lower leg and bruised wrist. Heather went to stay with that friend, and that report ends with this line. Attempts to contact Witcher ended in no results. A domestic battery complaint was filed the next day. Fifteen days later, another assault was reported. In the scrawled narrative of Heather's shaky hand, she describes yet another incident in a vehicle where Andrela Witcher pulled out a gun and began to wail on her head with it over and over. The gun slid from his hand and he just kept beating her. In the head, in the ribs, her arms, her back, in the face, her ear, all over. Yet again, when they returned to the Lake City house that they shared with his cousin, Andrelo threatened her with a gun, telling her that if she tried to leave him, quote, you know what'll happen. The next day, they drove to Café Risque so Heather could find out about a check that she was expecting. She met a girlfriend in the parking lot and asked her to go in and check on it for her because she was already so beaten up, it would cause questions if she went inside. 
On the way back home, the two were pulled over by police. As the officer approached the driver's window, Andrelo warned Heather. Don't say anything or you know what'll happen. It was his oft-repeated refrain, and that's because she did know. He would beat her, because he did it all the time. When the officer asked Heather about her injuries, she told him that she got in a fight with a girl. The officer eventually let them go, and they went back to that house in Lake City, where Andrelo continued to threaten her. Later, she would tell family and friends that during the ensuing two days that he held her there, he tied her to the bed in their room so that she couldn't leave, and he would only allow her to get up to go to the bathroom. Later in one of his interviews, Andrelo's cousin, who also lived with them, tends to back this up because he says that he didn't see Heather at home much because she stayed in their room. Heather finally managed to escape when Andrelo fell asleep. She drove to a nearby gas station and called her friend, who was also named Heather, who took her to the emergency room. At this point, Heather McCrossan had two black eyes, a broken eye socket, and bruises and marks all over her arms and back from the repeated violence that she had endured. Pictures were taken at both of the incidents that I just described, and it's clear that the progression of injuries has gotten worse. Andrelo continued to brutally hit her in the same place on her face, further damaging an already swollen eye socket on the left side. Both of these attacks occurred while he was driving, using his free right fist to batter her left side over and over. While, I should add, she was a captive victim, unable to jump out of the moving vehicle. In every instance, Andrelo was armed with a gun. The final lines in Heather's shaky handwriting on that second report say, I've been scared out of my mind for the past two days, but I have a son, and my life is more important. I wish to press charges. This was something that she had failed to do in previous instances because every time she would report, Andrelo would threaten to kill her, and he had beaten her so badly over and over, she believed him. Um, can you tell me where Heather lived with Andrello? First place that I've known of her to live was with his mother um, in Jones, Jonesville. And one day she had asked me to help move them to her apartment she was getting. I'm not real sure the name of the apartment. I want to say it's Brandywine on Newberry Road. So I moved them, and that's where the the first really bad incident happened where he had her and he um, robbed just, her. Let me stop you right there, Heather. Okay. So it was after she moved out of the location where she lived with Andrello's mother and he when she got her first apartment. That when she That's when she reported being a victim. Is that correct? Correct. In December of 2006, Heather was lying in bed in the apartment that she had shared with Andrello. Heather got out of bed and walked into the living room to find him walking into the apartment. When she asked him what he was doing there, he grabbed her by the face and forced her back into the bedroom. He knocked her down onto the bed, and while Heather tried to fight him off, Andrelo held her down, forcefully pulled off her pants, and sexually assaulted her. During that struggle, Andrelo said, Please just let me do this and it'll be done. If that's not an utterance that doesn't chill you to the bone, I don't know what will, because that is the utterance of someone with some serious 
sexual, and emotional dysfunction. Imagine telling someone smaller than you, someone you can physically control, to just lie there and let me do what I want to do. After the assault, when she was able to break free, Heather ran out of the apartment. Andrelo chased after her, with items falling from his pockets as he pulled up his pants. Outside, he knelt down and begged her not to call the police. Heather called her co-workers at Casbor's Grill first to come and get her. Andrelo was still in the parking lot with Heather when two of her male co-workers showed up. There was a verbal altercation between the men, and then Heather left with her co-workers. Andrelo chased them in his vehicle, and at some point Heather's co-workers had to pull their car over. Andrelo slid to a stop behind them, jumped out of his car, and started screaming, You done fucked up now, bitch. The witnesses said that he had his hand behind his back as if he was holding a weapon. Andrelo fled the scene when he heard them calling 911. Later, Heather told the police when they arrived at her apartment that he regularly carried a gun and threatened her with it. Police processed the apartment and they noted that her bedroom showed signs of a struggle. The sheets were completely pulled off the bed and lying on the floor. The mattress hanged partially off the box spring. Heather said that he had used those sheets to muffle her screams during the rape. There were cigarette lighters and coins littering the floor next to the mattress, consistent with what Heather had said happened, things dropping from his pockets as he hurriedly yanked up his pants and chased her out of the apartment. Then Heather checked her purse, and she learned that Andrelo had taken $400 in tips that she had earned, working four double shifts in a row. It's one of the reasons that she had been trying to stay away from him. In addition to all the physical abuse, Andrela was constantly shaking her down for money, her hard-earned money. Yet he didn't have a job, unless you count being a drug dealer, gainful employment. After this, Heather was taken to Alachua General Hospital, where she was met by a county victim's advocate, and a rape kit was done. Can you tell me what you recall about that event? What I recall about that is she never asked for me to, you know, come get her at that time, but she was kicked out of the apartments due to the the domestic violence all the time and the drug dealing going on. Uh, what drug dealing are we talking about? Andrella, which are selling drugs. Do you know what drugs he would sell? He, as far as I knew, sold pills, cocaine, crack. And how do you know that? Because uh, Heather told me. Was Heather a narcotics user? She smoked marijuana. Did she also drink alcohol? She drank alcohol. If she did anything else outside of that, I was not aware. Uh, tell me about the uh, allegation. Um, she told me that he her and that he robbed her after and left, and she went to the police department. They arrested him, but she didn't press charges due to the fact that he pretty much threatened her. So they dropped the charges on him. Tell me what uh, Heather told you about the threat. Uh, he threatened that he would kill her if she went forth in it. And your best friend Heather decided not to prosecute. Exactly. What did you advise your best friend then? I just told her to get away from him. He was too dangerous. He, she didn't need to be around him. She was too pretty of a girl, and 
and needed to move on with her life. Did you offer for Heather to move in with you and your boyfriend? Uh, that was another occasion, yes. Okay. Well, tell me about where Heather moved to after she got kicked out of the Brandywine. She moved with Andrello once again to a cousin's house. I don't know the location. I could go to it in Lake City, Florida. And how long did she live there with Andrello? I want to say probably two months. Two to three months. That's you know, I'm not going to give it any more than that. Okay. Did the uh, domestic violence uh, seem to cease at that point or no. escalate? No. It actually got worse. Tell me about that, please. Um, I was on my way to Cafe Risque to go to work one night, and she called me, told me she had ran ran from his house and was at a SNS. I believe it's an SNS store hiding in the bathroom. He was looking for her. And would I come pick her up? I went and picked her up. What she looked like when you picked her up? She had a busted eye. Um, he mainly went for her face. And she was bruised up. She had knots in her head. She was bruised up in her ribbing area. So I picked her up. And I have a police officer friend who is retired now. Uh, in the Lake City Sheriff's Department, I told him that Heather just just left Andrello. He was looking for her. She was scared, but all her belongings was at his cousin's house, and we needed to go back and get them, that she was leaving him this time for sure, and uh, she was going to stay with me. And so he got up a couple of other officers and knew that this was a well-known drug house, activity house, and when we went back to the house, Andrello ran out the back door. His cousin remained in the home. Heather went inside to start getting her belongings. And then the top drawer of where her clothes was was crack cocaine. And the officers started to proceed to um, search the house and raid the house while she was getting her belongings. Do you know what the cousin did uh, while the police were present? He uh, sat in the living room with another officer watching over him. Okay. Uh, what happened next? Um, what happened next was we left from there, came to my house, and Andrello called Heather and said he watched the whole thing of us out there at the house. When you heard this conversation between you and Heather, um, how were you able to do that? It was on the next telephones. Is that the direct connect option where it's... Uh, Direct Connect, yes. Very good. And can you tell me the conversation, additional conversations, especially if it included any threats between Andrello and Heather? Well, what caused that that beating that she took earlier prior to that that day was when she worked, he would come in and take all her money from her and leave her broke and leave her stranded. So she was tired of being broke, and she took a necklace with a medallion that he had and pawned it. He found out about it and what pawn shop it was in. It was in one in Alachua County, and uh, that's what caused him to beat her, was over that necklace. Um, the threats that he made after we came back to my home was that he was going to kill her. Uh, she better not, you know, press charges, um, say where he's at or anything. 
And, I mean, mind you, it's been seven years, so it's kind of hard to remember everything. I understand. How long did Heather stay with you after this meeting before she went back to Interlock? She stayed with me for two days. First day, everything was fine. She did receive the calls. I told her not to answer to them, leave them alone, don't answer to them. Um, The second day, she was outside walking around, which I thought she was talking to her son in Michigan and her grandpa. Um, and then she disappeared. But before she disappeared, I had told her, do not let this guy come to my house. He's bad. I have children. If you go back to him, that's on you. Um, I did say, you know, that I wasn't going to help her anymore, which I regret that, but I, I was always there for her. And, uh, later on she was gone. Well, I noticed that there was footsteps on our dirt road leading out to the end of our road and then about a day or two went by I didn't talk to her and she said that she was with him again do you know if she moved back into the house with a cousin in Lake City yes she did and she left quite a few belongings behind at my home which I gave to the detectives on her case it was a um statements on arresting him for prior you know stuff she left a lot of her stuff back at my house that I gave to the detectives already. How much time do you think elapsed between the time you let her stay at your house for a few days until you heard from her again regarding a further escalation of the domestic violence? Um, I want to say it was a couple of weeks. What happened then? Um, okay, a couple of weeks. Well, she never answered her phone for a few days when I was trying to call her. Two days, it just rang, rang, rang. On the third day, it went straight to a voicemail, and as if her battery was dead. Well, I didn't talk to her no more. I just let it go, and I guess she was trying to get a hold of me. I'm assuming the following day, she was trying to get a hold of me. She had been taken to another residence in Lake City, Florida, by the um, bus station, and was held hostage there, tied against her will for three days, she said. While he was sleeping, she got out of it. He had beaten her so bad that he broke her eye bone, uh, broke a rib, and um, she had gotten away from him, got his keys, took his car. She was looking for my house all day long. She couldn't remember how to get to my house and was trying to call me and was running out of gas. Finally, when I got her phone call, she was crying hysterically, saying that as soon as he found her, he was going to kill her. He was going to um, report his car stolen so she could go to jail. So I told her to come to my house. She came to my house, and I called the Live Oak Police Department or Sheriff's Department, and they came out and seen her face and realized right then and there that they were not going to press any kind of charges of stolen vehicle. They took pictures of her, and because of the incident that happened in Lake City, we had to meet with a Lake City officer so they can get a statement. And they both heard, the officers, both officers heard Andrello say on the direct connect that he was going to slice her throat and kill her when he found her. The officers advised Heather to take his car to a gas station further away drop it off there, call him, let him know where his car was so he can pick it up 
and for me to get her to the hospital and get her on a bus and get her home. Uh, did you, in fact, do that? I did every single thing the officer said to do. Which hospital did you take her to? I took her to Lake City, uh, Lake City, not not the Shands, the Lake City Medical. And well, what did you find out about her condition? Her eye bone was broken. She had fractured rib um, and bruising really badly and, and a couple lacerations on her head. Did you have an opportunity to have a conversation with her about when she was tied up in another house in Lake City prior to her going to Michigan? No, we didn't really. All she told me was that she was tied up and she couldn't get away for three days. We didn't go into detail. We were too much of an, in a panic of how she looked. Did you see any, well, please describe for me any marks you saw on her while you were at the Lake City Medical Center. Um, her eye bone was swollen shut. It was broken. She had a couple of cuts on her head, bruising in her ribs, and uh, just really rough, really beat up. What happened after you cleared the medical center? Um, I took her straight to the bus station, got a ticket. Her, my boyfriend at the time, Kevin Keller, and and myself were sitting there waiting for the bus to come and supposedly Andrello was in that area watching us because he called her phone and asked her questions of why was she sitting on a motorcycle when really it wasn't her sitting on one it was myself on my boyfriend's motorcycle while we were waiting therefore he was watching us from the bus station so we got her on the bus she went home. I talked to her the whole way up there. She was telling me how he kept calling her, and one moment he would say, I love you, I want you back, please don't go. When she'd refuse, he'd call her back and tell her how he was going to be on the other end of that bus in Michigan and kill her, and just made all kinds of threats of killing her. Did your uh, boyfriend, Kevin Keller, was he also able to listen to and observe all this conversation, or these conversations with Heather? Yes. Did Heather tell you what her plan was after she got back to Michigan? Um, she was going to Michigan, spent, you know, stay with her family for a month. She had to return back to Florida a month later to go to court. And uh, her family got to see what she looked like when she arrived there. And I talked to her the whole time she was there. He, She told me how he called her all the time. Her family even knew that he called her all the time up there. And then when the day came that she was supposed to come home, she was supposed to come back, or not home, back down here, she was supposed to come to the Lake City um, bus station where either myself or my boyfriend would pick her up, stay with me at my home, and we would get her to court and back home to Michigan after. Now, how were you and Kevin Keller going to know when she was going to arrive at the bus station in Lake City? She kept contact with me all the way down here, and she was supposed to call one of us to come and pick her up at the bus station. Did she, in fact, uh, call you or Kevin Keller when she arrived in Alachua County? No, she did not. She called her sister and told her sister she was there, she was waiting. Her sister at, said that she heard people in the background and prayed that she wasn't back with him again. Heather, in fact, said, I'm not with him. I'm waiting. I'm at Walmart. Did you ever hear from her again? No, I did not. 
What do you think happened to your best friend, Heather McCrossin? In my honest opinion, I believe he was there, took her, and being the time frame of seven years, I do not believe she is still breathing. Heather, is there anything else that you would like to say on this statement? That I hope we find her, find her one way or another, and uh, that way we can give her a proper, a proper goodbye, should I say. Um, it's not fair. She has a child who, at the time, was, I believe, seven or eight years old that she talked to every day of, of her life. And he's, you know, the one going without him, her family, and myself, her best friend. I won't go back to him this time, Heather had told her friend Heather. She said this at the end of that brutal July in 2007, after she had endured a month straight of Andrelo's escalating abuse. On this day, the 23rd, she and her friend Heather had called the Lake City Police Department to escort them. She wanted to get her belongings. The two Heathers were afraid to go alone. Law enforcement calls this a clothing assist, and it is encouraged in situations of domestic violence when a woman wants to leave. There is a good reason for this policy. Statistically, when women try to leave, this is the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship. When men who demand control feel it slipping away, that is when things get dangerous. Hello, this is a prepaid collect call from an inmate at Florida Correctional Institution. This call is subject to recording and monitoring, and your location information may be collected and used by corrections and law enforcement personnel. To accept charges, press 1. To refuse charges, press 2. Thank you for using... Genetics. You may start the conversation now. I'm just reflecting, saying a lot of things, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, I just look at my life and, like, you know, see the type of girl that I've involved myself with. You know what I'm saying? And he knows that those type of women can entangle me, you know, because of my emotion, how I'm wired, you know what I'm saying? And he knows that, you know what I'm saying, these type women that I get involved with can disturb my walk because they are emotionally wired a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Just like, you know, I've been reading, doing some thinking about, do you know anybody that takes psych medication? It opens channels for the enemy. Medication, psych medication is another channel which the enemy can use. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just sitting back thinking about a lot of things, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, there's a lot of decisions that I make, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, with, with, with my emotions, realizing that I'm more emotional. I'm an emotional person. And say, so use my emotions to entangle me with my involvement in relationships. It's an easy win for them. You know what I'm saying? So that's why, you know what I'm saying, I must be careful on the people I, I, I give myself to because the way I'm wired, he knows that, you know what I'm saying, if I'm emotionally entangled with a person, I'm going to give this person my all. You know what I'm saying? But he uses, on the other end, certain type women, you know what I'm saying, to keep, it's just, you know what I'm saying, because I'm learning a lot of things about myself. Spiritually, 
has nothing to do with what the world says. The Bible tells us that we are to go trans, be transformed in our mind. You know what I'm saying? It's good to educate yourself to a certain extent, but when education goes against what the Bible teaches, that's when you use the Bible teaching. Obsessing this stuff they ain't nothing but another form of being entangled spiritually. It's a spiritual force behind everything. You know what I'm saying? I mean, whether you want to call it obsession, whether you want to call it whatever you, you want to call it, and, and like being a, a believer, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you should know these things. It's, I mean, you can go to all the psychology people you want to, the treatment you want to. It's not going to deliver you from only God who can deliver you from these things. I don't feel like I'm obsessed with anything. I just think my circumstances, um, that I'm in prison, you know what I'm saying, and be wanting someone to reach you. got to understand, see, it's easy for you to sit up there and say, just don't call. You, you, you saying that, but when you sit around 70-something men every day in a box, no bigger than your house, if you, 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 and the only thing you do is read your Bible, and then you go back, it's almost, you gotta, you, you see, you, it's easy for you to say, don't call or don't, because you can't place yourself in my shoes, because you never been there, you know what I'm saying, you never been, you know what I'm saying, caged in, you know what I'm saying, separated from the outside world. You know what I'm saying? And just being around men all day, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's easy for you to be like, you know what, you just don't call it. That's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It sounds good. You know, but if the shoe was on the other foot, you know what I'm saying, you would be able to understand. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's different. I got to deal with this, you know what I'm saying? The part that, that's, that gets me, though, it's not the situation. It's how the situation takes place. How I feel like I'm being handled, you know what I'm saying? That's the part that really, you know what I'm saying, gets to me. But I got to get over that. It's the fact of, you know what I'm saying, how you going about the situation. That's the part that gets me more than anything. You know what I'm saying? How the situation takes place, it's the worst process because I feel like, you know, I definitely feel a certain way about your hands being involved in it, but, you know, that's a part of, that's another part of something I got to get over. And so I just feel like, you know what I'm saying, this is, you know, this this this, this is something I got to go through, you know what I'm saying. I just don't like feel like being manipulated, and I don't feel like, I hate somebody trying to dictate my life because you did that for a lot of years, and I just don't like any form of anything like that. But I love you, I talk to you later. The caller has hung up. During the course of my research, I was able to review hundreds of jail and prison phone calls between Andre Witcher and others, mostly with his mother. And even in her discussions with her son, his mother calls him on his obsessive need to be in control and to always be right. It was an issue between them that I heard play out over and over. He constantly asked questions and poked at his mother trying to control her life and question her choices from behind bars. 
His own mother told him he was in no position to be trying to control anyone from where he was. In addition, I spoke to multiple women who had been associated with Andrelo as far back as 2000, and even in the women who said he hadn't laid a hand on them, they admitted that when they tried to break up with him, he had done things like stalked them, threatened them with a gun, and in one case he kicked in a door. They all said that he had a bad temper. He would take their car for days at a time without asking, and all of them said that he had been selling drugs the entire time he was with them. So keep all of that in mind when we pivot back to July of 2007, at the end of that brutal month, when Heather and her friend Heather are going back to that home that she shared with Andrelo and his cousin to gather her belongings. Andrelo's cousin was also there when they arrived, and an officer accompanied Heather to the room that she shared with Andrelo because she was afraid to even go in there in case he was hiding. The report states, quote, I observed male and female clothing in the room, at this time, Heather began to gather her clothes and personal belongings. At one point, Heather pulled open the drawer to the nightstand located in the northeast corner of the bedroom. In plain view, as she pulled it open, I observed a small clear plastic bag containing a green leafy substance. There were also multiple empty clear bags in the drawer. Heather pulled the drawer completely out, and I observed two additional larger bags in the nightstand, but under the drawer. One appeared to contain white powder, suspected to be cocaine. The other appeared to contain crack cocaine. Having seen the drugs in the home, the officer then proceeded to search the premises to make sure that Andrela was not still there. All told, police found 13 grams of powder cocaine, 3 grams of crack, and 22 grams of marijuana, as well as paraphernalia indicative of the sale of drugs including a scale that was in Andrelo's closet next to a letter that was addressed to him. Heather was taken to the station for further questioning, and while she was there, Andrelo called her and was making threats. This is another pattern that you'll see. Andrelo repeatedly threatening Heather and other victims where other people are in the vicinity to hear those threats. At one point, a task force member took the phone from Heather and spoke directly to Andrelo but he refused to identify his location. When an officer who had been present during this incident was later questioned by investigator Kevin Allen, he said that Heather appeared to be very frightened to even be in that house because she was afraid that Andrela would show up while she was removing her things. Two days later, Heather McCrossin fled to Michigan via Greyhound bus with her single suitcase and two black eyes. A woman who had spent months, being repeatedly beaten, brutalized, and threatened. Unfortunately, she would only stay for a few weeks. During the entire time that she was there, Andrelo called and threatened her, and said that if she did not return to Florida, and if he was forced to come up there, it wouldn't just be her that got hurt. He also threatened her family. Stay tuned. 